ESPN Radio. The NBA playoffs are rolling along, and we're rolling along with you on a Tuesday on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. She is Amber Wilson. I am Chris Canny, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on Twitter at AmberW790, at ChrisCanny99, and as always, tap in on the Canny call-in line, 888-ESPN, that's 888-729-3776. And Amber, last night we saw the Warriors take a 2-0 lead in their series against the Denver Nuggets, as well as watching the Philadelphia 76ers take a 2-0 lead in their series against the Toronto Raptors. Now, Golden State probably did it in more impressive fashion beating the Nuggets 126-106, to 106, and in the process, Nikola Jokic being ejected. And so I got to ask, based on the performance that we saw from the Warriors, are they now the scariest team in the Western Conference? No. I mean, did you forget about the team that won 64 games Hell in no. the regular season in the Phoenix Suns? No, they are absolutely not the scariest team in the Western Conference. That still belongs to Phoenix. I'm not willing to be that much of a prisoner of the moment. But mm. I have been impressed here by the Golden State Warriors because I'm starting to get concerned that there's nobody in the West who's going to challenge Phoenix. And then Golden State really steps up to the plate so far in this series, and it makes you believe that they've saved what they've got down the stretch of the regular season because they know the postseason is coming, which if that ain't a vet team, then I don't know what a vet team <laughs> is, right? So they save their best for last, and their last is what matters here. This is a team that was sub-500 the last 10 weeks of the regular season, but who cares about the regular season when they're dominating like they're dominating right now? And we know a large part of that record at the end of the regular season was because of all the injuries that they suffered to their key pieces. Well, those guys seem just fine now and then you have the emergence of guys like Jordan Poole to help out that vet squad so I do think this Warriors team looks scary maybe they could challenge the Suns a little bit because Memphis doesn't seem up for that task right now but I am not willing to unseat the Suns as the scariest team in the NBA I will say this Amber maybe the Warriors are not yet the scariest team in the NBA you still want to see Steph Draymond and Clay log more minutes together because remember coming into this postseason those guys have only played a grand total of 11 minutes together. But I will say this, this lineup, the new death lineup that the Golden State Warriors have where Draymond Green is playing center alongside Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Jordan Poole, they've only played 11 minutes together in the two games against the Denver Nuggets. And they've scored 47 points in those 11 minutes. They're 17 of 22 from the field, and they're plus 29. That lineup, Amber, is going to be hell for teams to try to match up against. And that's the thing that I look at with the Golden State Warriors, the different machinations that Steve Kerr can throw out there and create mismatches for opponents. And that's not something that's going to be unique to the Denver Nuggets. They're going to be capable of doing that to every team in the Western Conference, including the Phoenix Suns. So I get it. Mikel Bridges is a final, was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. He had a phenomenal year. The Phoenix Suns are well-coached under Monty Williams. I understand why a lot of people would have them as the prohibitive favorites to come out of the West. But I think they're discounting or dismissing the championship DNA that the Golden State Warriors have with their head coach, Steve Kerr. And, of course, knowing that Steph, Clay, and Draymond have all won multiple titles together. And then you infuse that, that, that championship DNA with the talent 
of young players like Jordan Poole, like Andrew Wiggins, like GP2. I think that this team has all the makings of being a championship contender. And in my book, Amber, they're the team that I would pick the NBA title if to win the NBA title if I had to choose one squad today. Wow, that's wild to me because I think yep. so much of what we do with the Warriors, even when we talk about the death lineup with the Warriors, I mean, that term got coined back in their first championship run during the dynasty era. And so much of what we do with this Warriors team, because those three main guys' names are the same, is we act like this is still that Warriors team from yesteryear that was winning all the championships. And it's not the exact same Warriors team. Now, I do understand that Jordan Poole stepping up like he has so far and Andrew Wiggins showing that he can be a talent out here in the postseason is really really important to helping the rest of those guys age but the truth is that we have seen during this regular season that this team even as it's constructed with those three isn't quite the same team like Clay Thompson has been inconsistent Draymond Green coming back from all that time off with his injury the first couple of months of the year didn't look exactly like Draymond Green and I know it's crazy to say coming off of his performance yesterday with Steph Curry yeah, he looked but great. Steph Curry in the regular season I mean we have seen that like he's not exactly the shooter that he once was when we're talking about back-to-back MVP awards so there has been some transition here for this Warriors team as good as they've been now I do think it gets scary when you do add in Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins and if those guys are able to continue to step up in the postseason but Chris it is the first round of these playoffs and they are playing a decimated Denver Nuggets team. Like I am not willing yet to unseat the Suns based on those guys' performance against this Denver Nuggets team. I feel like that's far too prisoner of the moment, even with this death lineup talk. I mean, we saw them for five minutes in game one playing together. Like I understand they put up like 14 points or something in those five minutes in game one, whatever it was. I don't have the stat line in front of me. It's been remarkable when we've seen it, but we've also seen in the past that this small ball lineup that they go with with the Warriors like we've seen it before and it stands to reason that better teams than the Nuggets that are better defensively might have it figured out because it's not so different from what we saw from the Warriors during their dynasty and during that era frankly like we're all used to small ball at this point yeah and we all should be used to small ball apparently the Denver Nuggets didn't get the memo because like you said that death lineup played five minutes in game one, they scored 20 points. They marched that same lineup out there for six minutes in game two, and they scored 27 points. So you're talking about 11 minutes and 47 points scored and being plus 29. So, I mean, those are the numbers. Now, I get it. The Denver Nuggets have a ton of injuries that they're dealing with, but I think two things can be true at the same time. The Denver Nuggets can be depleted, and this death lineup can be a problem for not only the Nuggets, but for the West of the Western Conference playoff field. And I feel like the latter is going to be the point of emphasis when we talk about the prospects of the Golden State Warriors contending for an NBA championship. And I know there's still questions about Steph Curry because he's not in the starting lineup. And we know when he's 100% healthy, he will be in the starting lineup. But the guy scored 34 points in 23 minutes. He looked damn good. We saw Klay Thompson in the regular season finale against the Pelicans drop 41 points. We saw Draymond put the clamps on Nikola Jokic and frustrate him to the point where he got tossed in last night's game. So, I mean, all of the core elements of the championship teams of yesteryear for Golden State are starting to round into form, and now you have this other element that with younger players that are more athletic, that can give you more energy and play significant minutes, whether they're in the starting lineup or coming off of the bench. So I like 
all of the ingredients that Golden State has. And I guess I'm doing a little bit of projecting when we start talking about what they're going to be capable of accomplishing because, Amber, I don't think they're as good today as they're going to be at the end of the playoffs. I can't say that about a lot of other teams remaining in the playoff field. If they continue to get even healthier, we're assuming that Steph isn't healthy, and we're going to get more minutes from Steph, presumably, although he's so good off the bench. Maybe we should just uh, keep him coming off of the bench, Yeah, right? let me tell you what's not going to happen for a back-to-back <laughs> MVP in one, a unanimous one. Uh, that, would, that would be a unique approach if that's the approach uh, that they happen. took out there in Golden State. I do <laughs> understand what you're saying. They could continue to get healthier here. These other guys could continue to show us when Wiggins and Poole that they're developing throughout the postseason in a way that's really, really important to that team. Again, we're talking about the Denver Nuggets as the opponent, though. Like, it is just, we're two games into the first round of the playoffs. I don't want to take anything away from what Poole has done because he looks like a budding star right now, but that yep. star is still in that bud, man. Like, it is not flowered, not yet, Chris Kansas. Yeah, it's right. more than you know two what? games you know in the first round you know, of these playoffs. You know what's interesting, Amber? Because we were talking about last night seeing Two teams, one in the East, one in the West, take commanding 2-0 leads against their first-round opponent. I'm talking about the Sixers. I'm talking about the Golden State Warriors. Both of them have young players, Tyrese Maxey and Jordan Poole, that seem like they're budding stars. And both of these teams seem like they're having impressive outings at the start of these playoffs. So let me ask you this one question real quick because I know we're up against it. Which team are you more impressed with, the Sixers and what they're doing against the Raptors or the Warriors and what they're doing against the Nuggets? I'm more impressed by the Sixers right now because I thought the Raptors were going to be a more formidable opponent. Because again, just Jokic around him, it's so decimated that I have felt like that the Raptors were going to be a team that actually could make a little bit of a run here. Boy, was I wrong if they were able to get past (laughs) the Sixers. And apparently they're not even able to challenge the Sixers at all. They're not even basically able to show up and play with the Sixers. So I think that has surprised me more because of the opponent. Got it. All right. Yeah, I would probably lean toward Golden State, but that is the closest of margins because I did not expect to see what we're seeing from the Sixers through the first couple of games. I thought the Raptors would put up more resistance, and it feels like both of these two teams, the Sixers and the Warriors, are headed toward first-round sweeps of their opponents. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think yeah. that both of these series are going to be short series, and, and you think that Miami Heat-Atlanta Hawks series is going to be as well. I do too, but I'm just trying not to sound like too much of a homer. So there will be several short series, uh, it seems like, in these NBA playoffs. First All round. right, so we want to hear from you guys on the candy call-in line on who had the more impressive start to the playoffs, the Sixers or the Warriors. Hit us up, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Coming up next... Tom Brady, A-Rod, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen are set to tee it up in the match. Which one of these quarterbacks has the best chance of winning a Super Bowl in 2022? Amber Wilson and I will give you our answers on the other side of this break. You're listening to ESPN Radio back after this.
ESPN Radio. Warriors or Sixers? Who's done it better so far in the playoffs? We want to hear from you on the candy call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. It's your boy Chris Candy rocking with Amber Wilson on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Also, get at us on Twitter at AmberW790 and at ChrisCanny99. Tune in to the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters. Presented by Supercuts, download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. And Amber, speaking of enjoying things, I happen to enjoy a nice round of golf when I'm you know, down in the Carolinas, especially in the Hilton Head area. It's a place that I like to frequent. I was actually at the RBC Heritage this past weekend, a PGA Fancy. Tour event right after the Masters. Um, but we're hearing about some other NFL players that are going to get involved with the game of golf, and it's going to be a friendly competition amongst some of the best quarterbacks in the game today. So apparently the cryptic tweet that Tom Brady sent out over the weekend was him making sure that his competition, that being Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen, were ready for the challenge. The challenge, that being the participation in Capital One's The Match this year to be held at the Wind in Las Vegas. And it's going to be a 12-hole exhibition on June 1st, and it's also going to be televised as well. So those guys are going to be gearing up for competition. We know that Brady and Rodgers played last year in the match with Phil Mickelson and Bryson DeChambeau, with DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers getting the best of Mickelson and Brady uh, up in Big Sky in Montana. And so this is the fifth time that there's been a rendition of Capital One's The Match, and over the course of the four previous events, They've been able to raise $33 million for charity, so it's great to see these prominent NFL quarterbacks coming together for a really, really good cause. But more excitingly, just seeing them being able to compete in something other than football, I'm all for it because these are some of the best that the game has to offer, not just in terms of overall talent, but also competitive drive. Yeah, $33 million for various charities and 17 million meals for Feeding America. So this thing is wildly successful in terms of the philanthropy. Uh, no small feat by any means. So we have to highlight that. But I also think this is super cool. Like This is just super cool for the NFL fan. It's super cool for the golf fan. I love this kind of stuff. I don't know why Barton Hahn were hating on it today. They said they had no interest in this, Chris Canty. I think because I've seen match- both of them play golf. They, they really can't play golf. And maybe that's They're what it good. is because I, I think Barton Hahn just hate fun because this is fun. Uh, and what else could you ask for? You have the, the young quarterbacks against the old quarterbacks, right? Where Brady and Rodgers, that team collectively totals 82 years old, whereas Mahomes and Allen collectively totals 51 years old. So you've got the trash talking about the ages amongst these quarterbacks. I love this event. I am here for it. Uh, and I'm here for actually watching them, you know, play football. So there's that too. No doubt about it. And speaking of playing football, Amber, I mean, with these guys competing against each other out in Vegas in this golf outing, I mean, it just begs the question is which one is going to get the better of the others when it comes to this upcoming NFL season. And in 2022, we know that there's a lot of moving parts, particularly when it comes to Pat Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, because those two quarterbacks are losing their number one 
receivers and two of the most dangerous weapons in the National Football League in Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. Both of those guys were traded by their respective clubs this offseason. So I ask you this question, Amber Wilson, not about who's going to win the match in Vegas on June 1st, but when it comes to which one of these quarterbacks has the best chance of holding up the Lombardi trophy after the 2022 season, who you got? I think it's Josh Allen because I thought that the Bills should be the best team in that conference. Frankly, last season, I think they underperformed in the playoffs. And I think that they're slated to do it again and actually meet expectations this time because they didn't sit on their hands this offseason. A very good Buffalo team got better this offseason with the addition of Von Miller and others. So I think Josh Allen, because of the team, because I think he's the quarterback on the best team, is the most likely, if we're talking about out of those four, most likely to win a Super Bowl. I think Tom Brady uh, obviously has a good shot, uh, particularly when you're considering competition and also you never count out Tom Brady on anything. I just do (laughs) think that Tampa Bay Buccaneers team has taken a bit of a step back. And then you're also talking about a new coach there at the helm in terms of head coach anyways. Aaron Rodgers, I think that Green Bay has taken a big step back with the departure of his favorite target. And Pat Mahomes also losing his favorite target. So another step back, even though I'm not willing to totally count out Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes on anything. So I'll go with the one team in this mix that improved in the Buffalo Bills and then therefore Josh Allen. I hear you. And that's not a bad way to go. The Buffalo Bills are the only team in the NFL that returns a top five offense and a top five defense from a year ago. But Amber, I got to roll with Tom Brady. First of all, if you look at the overall landscape of the NFC in comparison to the AFC, it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of quality top competition in that conference that Tom Brady is in. And then you look at the division, the NFC South. I mean, look at the quarterbacks that Tom Brady is slated to go against. Jameis Winston coming off of an ACL injury. Sam Donald, maybe. And then Marcus Mariota, if he can stay healthy with the Atlanta Falcons. I, I just And then Dennis Allen being a new head, being a head coach for the New Orleans Saints. No Sean Payton. Matt Rule on the hot seat. I, I, I understand that Bruce Arians stepping up into the front office and Todd Bowles being the coach uh, second time around is a question mark, but I don't think Tom Brady would come back and play quarterback for the Buccaneers unless he believed in the succession plan that Bruce Arians put in place. So I got to roll with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers seemingly by default because I don't think that it's going to be a very difficult path for them to get to the postseason and if you look at the NFC, it's the Green Bay Packers, it's the L.A. Rams, it's the Tampa Bay Bucks, and not really anybody else in that same class. So I, I'll bet on the guy that's been there and done that more than any other NFL player, any other NFL quarterback in the history of the game, that being one Tom Brady. David and Minnie, we see you on the Kenny Calling Line. We're going to get to you in a second. But coming up next, how should the Panthers approach their quarterback situation this offseason? You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio.
ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Kenny call in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Amber, right now, let's go out to David in Minnesota, is it? Let's go to David in Minnesota because he's got a take on Sixers and the Warriors. David, you're on ESPN Radio. What up? Hey, Chris. Thanks for taking my call. The uh, the the Sixers are the better team. At least they're, I, I'm, I'm more impressed by how they're playing. I, I think Amber's right about the uh, – about uh, Golden State, it, I, I mean, it, it really is a crippled uh, Nuggets team, and uh, I mean, I'm not. I mean, it's great that they're playing well, but it's really not the, the kind of competition that that the uh, the 76ers are seeing. And that, why is there so much negative talk about Harden? I mean, he he's played well, um, and uh, and I honestly believe that he is not fully recovered from that that uh, hamstring injury. I think that's why we're not seeing the same James Harden. They're not going to publicize that. I, obviously, I have no evidence of that, but they're not going to publicize that he's injured. But um, it looks like he is not fully recovered from that that hamstring, and he's doing what he can in facilitating the, the offense. He's only been there two months. He's doing a great job. Chris, how long are we going to be talking about James Harden's hamstring, though? Like, it's been two years, right? I mean, how long yeah. has he been dealing with his hammy? I Sure, maybe it's still a problem, but, like, at some point, I think we all have to accept that then it's just kind of like a permanent thing with James Harden. I don't know if we can keep blaming James Harden's health. To that caller's point, though, the reason that people are kind of down on Harden is by the numbers because they're not the big ostentatious numbers that you used to expect from Harden earlier in his career. That being said, those people aren't watching the games in their entirety because Harden has been incredibly, incredibly effective and efficient at running that offense. He has been unbelievable in terms of passing and assists. I mean, he has really, really helped facilitate everything that his teammates box scores got done that maybe look a little bit more gaudy and impressive. So Harden has actually had a very good series so far. No doubt about it, Amber. And look no further than what you've seen from Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey through the first two games of this series. I mean, in both games, you're talking about those guys being north of 20 points. And we know that Maxey had the big outburst with what, dropping 38 in the uh, in the first game against the Toronto Raptors, so yeah, I I am uh, I'm a big James Harden fan based on what I've seen the first two games of the playoffs. There were plays that he made last night. I mean, one pass to Tobias Harris in the corner for a three ball. He must have had eyes in the back of his head the way he was able to whip that pass to the corner, put it right in the pocket so Tobias Harris could go straight up with the three. It was just a great play. Then you see some of the things that he's doing on the defensive end with the steals that he's making, being able to get opportunities for his team in transition. And then beyond that, Amber, just his overall awareness and basketball IQ. If you look at how Nick Nurse tried to defend James Harden, they basically assigned a guy to pick him up full court and deny him the basketball. So what did James Harden do? He didn't try to force the issue in the half-court offense. What he did was step all the way back to the three-point line and allow his guys to go four and four and have more space to operate. And guess what the result was? Them being able to have a lot of success and being able to get a lot of looks in the paint. And so I... I like this version of James Harden. The only question I have moving forward is when the competition gets ratcheted up a little bit and you got to have a bucket in crunch time, is James Harden capable of being that guy that you trust to deliver? Because right now it's not Tobias Harris. 
It ain't Tyrese Maxey because he doesn't have enough experience in the playoffs. And then it's usually not a big man, so you have to discount Joel Embiid. By default, it has to be James Harden. Is he still a guy that can be a walking bucket when you need it the most? That question remains to be seen. Yeah, I think that's a big question mark for the 76ers team because from what we've seen from this team, I think it is actually Tyrese Maxey, but I can understand why you would be concerned to do that in the playoffs. And listen, James Harden was a player brought in to accomplish that. James Harden is going to be the player that gets handed a ridiculous extension to accomplish that. And he has to be a killer at the end when it matters most in order to earn that money and still be in that conversation of a top 10 or top 15 player in the league. But To your point earlier, I do think that James Harden's game has always been more well-rounded than maybe people give it credit for, and we're definitely seeing that. It's not so much the scoring in this series, but we're seeing all those other components really get, I mean, just manhandle this Toronto team. Yeah, and Amber, the more we talk about it, the more I'm starting to come over to your point of view. What the Sixers are doing is more impressive than what Golden State is doing. I'm going to go ahead and take the L and admit that you were right in this debate, this conversation that we were having, just based on the expectations of the teams coming in, right? Because I pretty much expected the Golden State Warriors to do what they're doing to the Denver Nuggets. I did not see the Philadelphia 76ers manhandling the Toronto Raptors the way that they are. And it's not like we can sit here and say, well, the Sixers have this big coaching edge over the Raptors. The Raptors have Nick Nurse. One of the very best coaches in the NBA. If any coach has question marks around him in this series, it's probably Doc Rivers. It's not Nick Nurse. And so, and when you look at that and you look at what we've seen from James Harden, from Tyrese Maxey, and then last night, especially in the first half from Joel Embiid, it's hard not to buy into the Sixers potentially being a contending team. But I just want to see more. I, 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 it's hard for me to trust that they're going to be able to continue to shoot it as well as they have from deep. They've got 33-point makes through the first two games in this series, Amber. James Harden has got 20 assists through the first two games in this series. Tyrese Maxey is going ape. He's got over 60 points in the first two games of this series. I just need to continue to see them do that in order for me to buy into them actually being a team that can contend. I will say this, though. After the next two or three games, once they get past the first round, we're going to find out a lot more about the Philadelphia 76ers just based on the team that's going to be waiting for them, that being your Miami Heat. But coming up next, Debo, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, and D.K. Metcalf all want their bread. Which one of these receivers is more vital to their team's success and who's going to be the first to get paid? Amber Wilson and I will have the answer for you In a few minutes, this is ESPN Radio. We'll be back right after this.
ESPN Radio. Amber, there's been a lot of speculation about what the Carolina Panthers are going to do this offseason at the quarterback position. Now, we know that they traded for and battled Jets quarterback Sam Darnold last offseason and committed to his fifth-year option last year to the tune of $19 million due to him in 2022. But the 2021 season left the Carolina Panthers still in the quarterback market, and so people are wondering what is next. And so Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, both have been linked to the Carolina Panthers, but Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo had some interesting comments when it came to who his starting quarterback would be this upcoming season. Take a listen. And you look at Sam as your starting quarterback? Sam is our starting quarterback, yes. You know, one of the things I've been working on is being better talking to you people. So, you know, announcing the starting quarterback here, I just put my foot in the mouth. So that wasn't something I should have said. Now, Ben McAdoo, of course, is of New York Giants fame, the failed head coach, and led them to a 13-loss season in 2017. Amber, Ben McAdoo seems like he had a, a quick pivot from Sam Donald having a full vote of confidence to Sam Donald might not be our guy when we kick off the season in 2022. That's like the Simpsons meme where like he walks out of the bushes and then and then reverses. Uh, (laughs) And that's exactly what Ben McAdoo just did. Uh, Talk about a walk back there. And I don't really understand, frankly, why he even needed to walk this back, because if we had just played the original soundbite where he just answers yes, I would have chalked it up to coach speak in April where he's saying yes that Sam Darnold's his starter over whom? Philip Walker? I mean, there's only one other quarterback on that roster technically right now. It doesn't mean anything to me in terms of who's going to be the starter in the beginning of the season because that's a whole different ball game right now. Then fine. Sam Darnold's the starter over Philip Walker. Great. Uh, I don't know if it means that he's going to be the starter over the sixth pick in the draft. I don't know if it's going means that he's going to be the starter over Baker Mayfield or any other option that we haven't necessarily already yet considered for the Carolina Panthers. So I wouldn't have made much of this, but it's funny the quick reversal, Chris Canty, of Ben McAdoo. And that Ben McAdoo's still figuring out how to deal with the media. That's also Yeah, funny. I mean Ben McAdoo made it a bigger deal than it had to be, right? And you wouldn't expect that a coach that has experience with the New York media media would have this type of misstep yet here we are with Ben McAdoo once again maybe it's because he doesn't have the slick back hair anymore but I I just don't understand Amber what the harm in saying that Sam Donald is your starting quarterback now is if in fact you do end up pivoting and going to a different guy I, I think everybody in the NFL understands that sometimes the promises that teams make they don't necessarily keep this is Amber Wilson and Chris Candy coming up next wide receiver mayhem Y'all want some Adebo? Well, apparently there's probably 31 other teams outside of San Francisco that 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 want some too. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Canny call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Amber... A lot has been made of the wide receivers from the court, from the from the draft class a few years ago that are going into their fourth seasons that want contract extensions. Now we're talking about guys that weren't taken in the first round, so there is no fifth year option year. Players like Debo Samuel, players like DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, and Terry McLaurin. All of those guys are angling for new contracts because they've seen what's happened to the wide receiver market and how it's exploded after Devontae Adams got his new deal and Tyreek Hill has got his new deal. So we've heard from our very own NFL insider Adam Schefter that Debo Samuel, 
A.J. Brown and Terry McLaurin have no plans of participating in spring practices for the NFL teams, otherwise known as OTAs. Terry McLaurin did, however, show up for his team's offseason strength and conditioning program, but the other guys, A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel, did not. So what do you make of this situation now that we're eight days away from the NFL draft? Do you expect that any of these things get resolved? And who's going to be the most valuable out of the lot when we start talking about long-term contract extensions for these guys? Well, I don't make anything of these guys not showing up to phase one of an offseason program, right? It's it's pretty early now. And I guess with A.J. Brown, he's also, I think, deleted the Tennessee Titans on his social media because that's what you do these days, Chris. <laughs> but even if they hadn't done any of that, frankly, we know that these guys want to get paid. They could yeah. show up. They could have their team plastered in every post on their Instagram. And I would still know that these guys all want to get paid because we just saw, the, you know, Tyreek reset the market and Devontae Adams reset the market and, and, and Stefan and everybody else who has gotten paid here this offseason. And so because of that, these are the next guys up. And you knew that they were going to be in negotiations with their teams when you saw the way that this wide receiver market is trending. In terms of importance to their team, though, to me it, on this list, it would probably come down to either A.J. Brown or Debo Samuel because of the situation there with D.K. Metcalf's team. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but I think in teams actually looking to contend and do something this season, it would come down to those two guys and Samuel and Brown. In terms of key pieces, I'm still going to give the edge here to A.J. Brown because I'm just not one who believes that Ryan Tannehill – can get it done without the right talent behind him and around Mm -hmm. him. I saw him do it year after year in Miami. He's not terrible. Fine. He's a game-managing type quarterback. He looks great with the right pieces around him. He has the right piece behind him there in Tennessee, but I also don't know how much of that load that Henry can continue to endure at that position moving forward. I think A.J. Brown is so pivotal to that offense's success, and we saw it last season. Everybody, given on that Titans team, missed time last season, Chris. Yep. But we saw it when A.J. Brown missed like six games or whatever it was last season. It was significant. And we saw what that Titans team looks like without A.J. Brown. So I'm going to give him the edge in terms of importance to his team. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. You're talking about a Tennessee Titans team that lost to the Houston Texans. I mean, that, that's how much they can fall off a cliff with their offensive output if they don't have A.J. Brown out there on the field. And so I, I, I'm with you. I think Derrick Henry's best days are behind him. Anytime you start talking about a running back, that has the volume of carries that he does have that kind of injury with his play style, I, I don't know that he's going to be able to have that same impact on that offense. And then in turn, if you're not going to have the dominant running game that Tennessee has shown in the Mike Vrabel era, what does that do to play-action passing opportunities? And, and so I, I think A.J. Brown becomes that much more important to Ryan Tannehill's success and the success of the offense overall because you're going to get a decline in production in the run game. So I, I, I'm i with you. I think it's A.J. Brown by far. And if you look at the two players that we think are, you know, the guys that are most valuable, that being Debo and A.J., I mean, Debo has a much better team around him than, than A.J. Brown does. Let's just call it what it is. I think A.J. Brown means more to the Tennessee Titans' success than Debo Samuels does to – the San Francisco 49ers. They still got an all-pro tight end. They still got a first-round draft pick at receiver in Brandon Ayuk. I mean, you still have an offensive line that's really, really good, and you have a solid running game with Elijah Mitchell in the backfield. So I I think that this San Francisco team 
and of course the defense, which is top a top ten defense. So I mean, I think San Francisco is a better team overall. And if you're talking about having to deal with life beyond having one of these guys on the field, I think the 49ers are in better position to stomach that than the Tennessee Titans. But that being said, Amber, I don't think A.J. Brown is going anywhere. I don't think Debo Samuel is going anywhere. And I don't think Terry McLaurin is going anywhere. I think the one receiver out of the lot that could be on the move this offseason is the guy you mentioned earlier, that being D.K. Metcalf, because of where the Seattle Seahawks are as a team. Yeah, I'm with you because that seems like the, I guess the direction things are headed in Seattle. It's very hard to figure out Seattle because I know I've spoken on this show before to Mina Kimes and she says that some of their moves make her think that they're not uh, in sell now kind of mode, that they actually maybe are planning to try to compete. And if you are trying to compete and you're not blowing up the roster, then obviously you're not going to get rid of that talent there with DK Metcalf. But if they are in a position of rebuilding, which which is what it seemed like they were doing coming off of Russell Wilson. Then DK Metcalf gives you the most opportunity to get assets in return, more assets than you've already given or that you've already gotten. Obviously you've already gotten a haul in return for Russell Wilson as well. So Mm -hmm. I do think just because of the direction of that franchise, it would make sense to me. I get confused, Chris, because it's it's hard to unpack exactly their philosophy right now in Seattle. And I would have thought that maybe there would have been a coaching regime change, not to take anything yep. away from Pete Carroll, but you're talking about a, co- a coach in his seventies at this point. I, I'm just surprised that he would want to be there for a rebuild, but if they are in fact rebuilding, then yet yeah, DK is the guy uh, out of this list who I could see being on the trade. Yeah. I mean, if you can't get a quarterback, then you are in rebuild mode, right? That's effectively where the Seattle Seahawks are. Now, we don't know what they're going to do with their top 10 draft pick from Denver. We don't know what they're going to do in the free agent marketplace. We don't know if they're going to try to trade for a quarterback. But as it stands right now, Drew Locke is your guy. And, Amber, I'm not quite sure if you do extend DK Metcalf, you're going to get the return on investment that you're putting in DK with Drew Locke as your quarterback. I don't know that it's going to yield the kind of results you're looking for in the way of wins if you go ahead and sign him up. So that's why I think it makes sense for Seattle to deal him, even though you are parting ways with one of the most unique talents at the wide receiver position the game has today. So are you getting I, the return uh, on Debo if Trey Lance is your quarterback? Yeah, because I, Debo, you know, that's Debo, a I mean, Debo, Debo, well. Debo, Debo could also be a running back. Debo can be your slot receiver. Debo can line up high wide. There really ain't much Debo can't do. And not to mention, Debo is a beast when it comes to blocking in the running game. He's, he's got some Heinz Ward in him when it comes to blocking at the wide receiver position in the run game, and we know that's how that 49ers offense is oriented anyway. Kyle Shanahan wants to run it more than he wants to throw it, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't see the value in what Debo Samuels brings to the table, especially with catch-and-run opportunities and a guy that has the big play yak potential that Debo has shown. So, yeah, I think even as Trey Lance with your starting quarterback – I think you have an opportunity to get the return of investment on Debo. And here's the thing. You're going to get that in year one with Trey Lance. You're also going to get that in year three and four with Trey Lance. Him being at a controllable cost on a rookie contract, you can afford to pay Debo Samuel all that money. All of these teams are going to have to pay these guys. That's the reality of it. Maybe not Seattle, I guess, if they choose to move DK. But the reality is – 
all of these guys are about to get played. We haven't even discussed Terry McLaurin, and that and that absolutely includes him as well. This is the way the way wide receiver market has gone, uh, and these teams are going to find themselves in a tough position when these guys have produced as much as they have. I will say this, Amber, Terry McLaurin better get his money now before he has to play with Carson Wentz as his quarterback. <laughs> Coming up next is game two, a must win for the Memphis Grizzlies. Amber Wilson and I will weigh in.